Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Everybody and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota. I'm Stephanie Hansen, and this is episode number 73. Can't believe that 73 times I've sat down and talked to cool people doing cool things, but that's exactly what we're doing here. If you have suggestions for people we should talk to, you can find Makers of Minnesota on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're also on the Instagrams, so you can reach out to me. Also, S Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N at HBI.com if you have suggestions or any comments or any feedback about the shows. Someone gave me some good feedback about microphone handling, so we've hopefully got that handled, um, and people are using the microphones a little bit better. So thank you for listening. Um, today I have an interview with a, a man that's the chief technology officer for a beta launch of a brand new app called Dot Com Guy, and welcome Jacob Beasley. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Quick question for you. So I'm like trying to prepare for the interview and I go to dot com guy and there's a guy named dot com guy on the internet. And I realize that you guys are making an app, but you, what you're trying to do is pretty cool. You're trying to disrupt the computer repair space and help space. And dot com guy is some kind of kooky guy that has changed his name in Wikipedia. I'm wondering if that's at all on purpose or if that's just a coincidence. Yeah, great question. So actually, this is always kind of funny for us, too, because we get this question a lot. So there was a guy about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago who yep. basically lived out of his home for like a whole year. And he had webcams everywhere. And he yeah. developed a sort of cult following, um, not necessarily in a good way completely. Yep. Right. Um, but uh, uh, our founder, Jim Pascucci, was kind of inspired by this guy. And the first city that we were beta launching in was Dallas, and that's where this guy was based out of. So Jim decided to, when he started the company, decided to call it Dot Com Guy. But uh, yeah, we we like to think that um, we're not that guy, and that a lot of our customers are not people who live in their live at home and never leave the house. So. Which is so funny. <laughs> so you're building this app and you're beta testing it, and Dot Com Guy. My understanding is is that I can go to this app. And I can tell you that I'm having a computer problem and Mm -hmm. you're, dare I say, I don't want to, there was a company in town called Geek Squad that kind of did something similar, but it wasn't an app based. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So, you know, when Jim Pascucci, our founder, decided to start .com Guy and to begin building that team, um, the company was really born out of a frustration with the way the technology services industry works, right? So let's say you go into... Uh, let's just say a Best Buy, and you've got a problem with a device, right? Well, maybe someone shows up in a week or two to solve your problem. You may get passed around with three different people. The person who shows up is probably going to be, you know, somebody who came from the sales floor, not necessarily a professional technician, although they've gained experience. And they're going to be as focused on selling you things as actually giving you valuable services and fixing your problems. So um, Jim approached uh, Chris Nichols, our head of marketing, and and, uh, Michael Robbins, our head of uh, finance and ultimately myself, um, Jacob Beasley, the head of technology. And we, I love that you just called yourself in the third person. 
Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Okay, so, so he gets a hold of all you smart guys. Yeah, and and we actually a lot of us came from a company in the Twin Cities here called Field Nation, which yep. is essentially a, um, it was a startup. It's not a startup anymore. And what it would do is it would send technicians out to for businesses to actually come and solve their problems. So installing ATMs, running Cat five cabling, yep, um, setting up networking for businesses. Right, so these were professionals and. Field Nation has over 100,000 technicians, and they're great, and they're really good. And Jim said, gosh, I'm really frustrated with the service that I'm getting, and I have a lot of technology. I need it supported. I'm a small business owner. So, guys, isn't there a way that we can have good professional technicians show up and solve my problems? And that's that's the frustration and ultimately the goal that .com Guy was founded on, was to have a local technician show up and solve your problem who's actually a professional and who actually wants to solve your problem and isn't trying to sell you something you don't need. Is it always a person that's coming to my home or are we sometimes working on my problem over the internet? Well, right now we've decided to focus on someone showing up on site. Now there are a lot of other companies selling online services yep. where someone will remote dial into your computer and for computer problems, you know, a technician might be able to solve a lot of that, but a lot of people's devices these days are not computers, right? You've got a you've got tablets, you've got Wi-Fi, smartphones, internet. So you're smart gonna TVs, be able to repair all of that stuff, supposedly. And install, yeah. So oh, my we word. have a network of technicians that are used to setting up very sophisticated devices for businesses and mission critical systems. And we're leveraging those people. So if you need to have a smart thermostat installed, smart doorbells, smart door lock, um, smart cameras. In home wireless Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi extenders, computer, uh, printer, just wireless printers, devices that are not computers, where you really have to have someone come on site. That works great. You know, sometimes people will have problems with their internet not being reliable. Yep. And they'll call Comcast or Charter, and they'll call them four, five, six times, and it never gets fixed. And you could have a you could have a real technician come out, do some do some triaging, and try to figure out. Gosh, is a signal problem? Is the wire bad? Like, what's the real root of the problem, and actually solve it? Right. And a lot of that you can't do remotely on a computer. Sure. Now, virus scanning, you could do like virus scanning remote. But um, we're really going after people who need something fixed quickly. And it's a lot of de- – we think there's a lot of devices other than computers that people want repaired. In yeah, state. for sure. Um, what about like things like I, a dropped iPhone screen? Would you be able to do things like that? That's a great question. So the challenge with devices that are broken – is that then you have to carry a lot of very specific hardware. Mm-hmm. An example of like an iPhone screen, that's one where you're really better off taking that to an actual local company that carries in stock, you know, 50 iPhone screens yep. and can just repair it. Um, we had tried to offer some of those services, but again, hardware is hard. Um, we, we, I mean, we have technicians that can fix it, but the problem is just you'd have to schedule, they'd have to go get the hardware. Yep. You know, you're welcome to submit it. A uh, better example might be, hey, my, my, uh, my Wi-Fi cuts out at half of my house, right? So half of my house, my phone loses Wi-Fi and I'm using Netflix and it's burning my data and costing me a bunch of money. That's a case where you can go get a Wi-Fi extender. We can come out. So a lot of these kinds of wireless problems, less less like my hardware is flat out broken. Yeah. Although even then, a lot of times we can solve it, right? Yep, to know like what you have to go do to repair it or... Correct, yep. And you can submit the work. And if even before the technician shows up, just like Uber, you get their phone number. You can call them or they'll call you. And they'll say, hey, you know, that's that's actually not something we can really solve. So there's really no risk. Um, we don't charge your credit card until after the work is complete. You can go in, enter, 
we like to compare ourselves the most to Uber. It's like if you took Geek Squad and you took Uber and you combine them into an amalgamation and you get the best of both, right? So you have technicians who can come fix problems, but you have the on-demand and the direct communication with the technician that Uber has. And that's really what we are, right, is that, that combination of the two. And as the chief technology officer, I'm going to ask you just some weird questions here. Yeah, totally. So where'd you go to college? So, uh, funny story, I am not a traditional college student. So I, I started off when I was 16 doing Normandale when I was in school. In Bloomington, okay. In Bloomington. Yep. And then I ended up at the U of M. I was actually pre-med in languages. So I was like, I was, I didn't, I never actually studied computers in college. I actually, I started programming when I was like 11 years old. Um, and I just worked my way up from nothing. But ended up at the U of M, pre-med, languages, Chinese and Spanish. And so then, you were a real dummy. Yeah, I was a real <laughs> dummy. And then... I, I was in pre-med and doing OCAM and had a buddy go, dude, you're just not putting in the time and you're spending all this time on the side building websites and building building app, apps for startups. And he said, dude, you, you're in the wrong industry. So I was like, yeah, organic chemistry is really hard and I really have a passion. I really want to make the world better, right? And I want to build companies that make the world better. And I came to the conclusion that I could do that better through business. So I ended up going to Normandale and the Metro State. So um, I like to say, uh, you know, just like Zoolander, Community college was the best four years of my life. That's right. I actually have a bachelor's in business from Metro State. So when you start out in your career, like what was your first job? Yeah, so gosh, first job. I actually, when I was 14, I was uh, programming on the internet at a site. Uh, gosh, what is the name? I'm totally blanking. It was basically an online freelance site. Sure. It got bought by, bought by freelancer.com and now Odesk, and now they've rebranded into something else. But I was doing... Coding online for people. Actually, I started out and wanted to make video games. And then after I got done learning how to make video games, I ended up switching over and making websites and applications. But I realized that it was really easy as a beginner to get jobs doing web development. Um, this was back, oh, 2003, 2004, sure. right? So I was like 14. I started doing coding on the internet. Um, and then I, gosh, all kinds of small companies and things. From there, I shifted over into doing applications. Gosh, I did everything from mobile apps, for iOS, Android, BlackBerry, Windows Mobile. I did embedded development for Windows Embedded, several different versions. I did um, websites and every major technology in the business. I wrote automated trading systems for fun. Um, I, gosh, yeah. What's so your favorite app you made? Gosh, I don't know. You know, it was really interesting, right? So I wrote a lot of these small apps for companies that had, you know, small systems, right? Yep. And then... Um, I actually, at one point, I wrote a clone of Groupon for a company, but with a multi-tenant architecture. Um, from there, I ended up, actually, the company that was most exciting for me was Field Nation. I was there for about three years. Right. And they doubled every year I was there. So 800% growth in three years. Super cool. And um, it was really interesting because suddenly I was working on a system that had thousands of daily active users doing millions of dollars of business, right? And um, leading a team of engineers there. And that was a blast. And then from there, I... Ended up working at PeopleNet, which is a company that basically puts devices inside of trucks that move on the road. And then after that, I ended up working at Target Corporate um, at Cartwheel and then in their supply chain space. Sure. So I've kind of been all over this, all yeah. over the space, right? And uh, I don't know if that kind of answers your question. It does. But so it's you're, been fun. Your chief technology, when was your first job that you were, that was your title, chief technology officer? Oh, yeah. Good question. The first one was a startup called S Playback, Sports Playback. They're not around anymore. I'm still friends with the founder, Billy Hengen. He, uh, uh, he and I still chat a lot because we both do cryptocurrency trading for fun and stay in touch. And that company I got in touch with through a, a, 
friend from my church, actually. And um, actually, there was one before that even. Well, anyway, it's playback. They were a company that basically did sports videos. Yeah. And um, you could, you know, your your school could, could sign up and um, its sports team could sign up and use it for fundraising and posting videos and could make sure the content was child appropriate. And then, you know, grandma and grandpa could sit at home and watch their kids playing sports. So it was pretty cool. Did that get uh, taken over by Sports Engine or someone else? No. So it was actually really interesting. When I was there, actually, I was just chatting with Billy a a couple weeks back. And we were chatting about how um, we actually had started a company that was doing what Sports Engine was doing around that same time. And we were like, like we were doing it on the side. Yeah. One company asked us, they're like, hey, can we have something to like manage our sports team and manage our roster and keep track of our baseball statistics? And we're like, yeah, okay, we'll help you with that. We helped them for a few weeks. And we're like, oh, this is really a distraction. We don't have time for that. So we stopped doing it, right? And then lo and behold, a couple of years later, Sports Engine came out, came out. So we were like, oh, man, we should have we should have really pivoted at that point. Yeah, should have, would have, could have. Yeah. Dot-com guy will always be something that you access as an app. You will never have a computer site? Good question. So actually, we like to say we're a web app. So because most of our users are not going to be using us daily, instead of having an actual mobile app, we chose to have a web app. So you just go through your mobile device or through your computer, and you submit a ticket online. So um, we say it's a web app because it is very mobile friendly. It's it's very much mobile first. Mm-hmm. So if you're using the experience from your mobile device, it's going to be a great experience. It's very easy to use. What would the address be that you would go to? Just www.comguide.com. Okay. And um, yeah, we had a huge debate amongst our team about should we have a web should we have a web app should we have a mobile app a website, and it was like gosh if we did a a mobile app. Well, we actually looked and, you know, Geek Squad has a mobile app for customers to submit orders, but they have only a couple thousand downloads. And they have, you know, they're across retail locations all across the United States. Right. And they do, you know, probably, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs a year. And they've only got a few thousand downloads. So we're like, clearly the mobile app isn't working for them. So we decided, you know, let's do something that's web-based that anybody can go and submit. You don't have to download an app. You don't have to approve a bunch of permissions. You just show up same way you access any other website. Yep. And submit the work. Um, as soon as you submit a ticket, we shoot you an email. Um, within five or ten minutes, we'll shoot you an email with the assigned technician's name and phone number. They'll reach out to you or you can reach out to them and they can show up in a couple hours and fix your problem. Can you do this for, um, I want someone to do this for um, handyman home repair. Yes. <laughs> I want yeah. someone to disrupt that category. And I, yeah, it's just such a frustrating experience to get somebody to help you in your home with anything. Oh, it is. It is. Um, we've looked at that space. Um, the We've actually considered taking the software that we've built now, which allows you to use uh, marketplaces of labor, whether it's Work Market, Field Nation, On Force, yep. or even other, you know, pick your source, right, that already exist. And and dispatch people immediately to go do the work, right? So we've looked at our software and said, gosh, we could pivot in those directions. We're going to focus on technicians because that's where we have a lot of experience and expertise. But yeah, really, it doesn't end there. There's so many areas you could you could um, work on. I know there are some companies out there that are working in that space. Things like installing IKEA furniture and things. I know one of the challenges that um, we had when I was at Field Nation going into those spaces is a lot of these spaces require special licensing. But in dot-com guys model, where we're actually um, spending a lot of time onboarding and making sure our technicians have a verified work history, that they've had a background check with a partner company, that they are basically experienced, reliable technicians, 
that same process is a little bit more than what Field Nation was doing. And there's really nothing if we're going through that process to prevent us from going into other industries. Yeah. Or for our software to be used from ex- by existing players in the industry to go after that space, right? Like an Angie's List, you know, could very much look and say, hey, like this, we already have an existing network of people, but we're not controlling the transaction. We're not really building a brand that does service. Right. We're just like a yellow book. Well, if they ever wanted to be more than like a yellow pages and actually run a company selling services, software like ours could be utilized. Or we could we could run even something like that under our own brand or other, under another brand. Yep. But um, our founders have been very, very focused on the technology services space. We're right now looking at partners who actually work in, in many cases, that remote space. And we're saying, can we can we work within their existing network and take our network of technicians that we've built now across three states, um, Los Angeles, so Southern Southern California, Minneapolis, and Dallas. We're kind of piloting in those three spaces. We're saying we leverage that network to really service customers. But to your question, there's really nothing about our software that limits us to technology. Yeah. Right? Um, I would so, yeah. think, yeah. Have you ever had to wear like a suit to work? Yeah. Well, it's fun, right? So <laughs> you're wearing jeans and vans yeah. and. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, um, when I was at, gosh, where was it? When I first started at Field Nation, I would dress really, really nice. Yeah. Right. Not full on suit, but nice. And then like, I swear within like two months, you know, you just kind of amalgamate into the technology culture because everyone else is wearing nice tennis shoes, but tennis shoes. Yes. Right. <laughs> jeans and maybe a button up shirt or maybe like, you know, uh, a polo. Right? Yeah. A collared um, shirt. But we used to have a guy at Field Nation who would wear just about every day, even in the dead of winter, sandals, a pair of shorts and like a T-shirt. Right. Dead of winter. Right. Huh. And so, yeah. Um, Target, I was I was afraid when I was going to go work for Target that they were going to try to make me wear a suit. But luckily, they got rid of that like four years ago during yeah. the big upheaval, right? So, you know. So I've never – I worked at a company near the Target headquarters, and it was always such a fashion show watching people go to lunch. Oh, yeah. Just the people were dressed to the nines, even like dr- business casual dressed to the nines. Well, and it's interesting, right, because the different areas within these large companies have very, very different cultures. So you go into like the marketing side. So their their main headquarter building has a lot of their marketing yep. people. So they work on products, their marketing, they're very artsy. They have a lot of like fashion, right? Yeah. And then you go over a few buildings and you go to like TP three across the street or you go to you go to the city center building and um you've got a you've got a lot of people who are actually technology people and so they're you know, they're gonna be wearing like ratty old Shirts shorts and, and flip flops. Yeah, they'll they like wear like free shirts they got at conferences and yes, um, they don't allow a lot flip- of free shirts. Yes, they don't allow flip flops, but you know people stretch it. That's funny. <laughs> um, so. If you were giving advice to a kid or somebody yeah. listening to this program, not a kid, but someone that wanted to get into the technology yeah. space, because we have these ideas of like, wow, these technology masters—they go to Silicon Valley and they're making millions of dollars and. Yes what do you think is the best course of action? Is it go to a four-year college and then get a job and bang mm-hmm. around? Or, you know, you kind of took a non-traditional route. Is that? Very much so. Yo, great question, right? So at the end of the day, if if you want to actually get in and, like, learn how to write code and build software and get into technology, you have to first understand that. You have to understand what you're getting into, Okay. So it's not easy. I, I tell people half of my job when I'm building systems or designing systems or working and solving business problems, half the job is just struggle, right? It's I have this problem. I don't know what's wrong. And I have to figure out what's wrong. and have to bang my head against the wall for two or three hours until I figure out what's wrong. And a lot of people, they get in thinking, I'm just going to go and it's going to be fun and I'm going to learn my area and it's just going to be, you know, just building things all the time. And 
actually solving problems is really hard work and you have to have perseverance. And if you don't have perseverance, you know, probably want to shy away from it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, myself included, we like puzzles. And we like when I'm when I'm given a you know, some a piece of code that I'm writing or system I'm designing and I'm struggling with something, I enjoy spending two hours looking over documentation and digging in and figuring out what's wrong and solving the problem. Mm-hmm. It's a puzzle and I get a lot of enjoyment when it's done and the thing's working, right? A lot of people, when they're given, you know, that two or three hours of struggle, they just are like, oh, gosh, this is really difficult, and they just quit, and they get, get frustrated, right? Mm-hmm. But the people who tend to succeed in technology are the people who are willing to put in the time to learn, right? Technology is different than other kinds of engineering. Software engineering in general is different. If you were going to be, say, a mechanical engineer, what you learn in college and then what you do in your first few years on the job, probably you could you could stick with those skills for 20 or 30 years and basically not have to learn a ton new. I right. Mean, reapply those same skills. There's a set of established best practices. In software engineering, it's changing all the time, right? The way people design software 20 years ago and the way that they design software today, the technology they use and the way the things they use today, completely different. And so there's a constant iterative motion to technology and you have to constantly be learning. And if you really don't like learning or you don't like that struggle, if you can't embrace the struggle, then, then don't do the work. Let me give an example, right? So in dot-com guy, we're trying to dispatch technicians out to do work. Right. When I was at Field Nation, right, we would be given problems all the time, and you would have engineers who are strong technology people, but we'd have to go solve a real-world problem. And real-world problems, the real world's ugly, right? So you think, okay, it's easy. I just find the guy, he goes out, he does the work, right? Well, there's an enormous amount of complexity around, well, how do you deal with things like the guy shows up and parts are missing, or the guy the guy shows up and the customer's not home, or... or um, they they need to negotiate pay. They after the fact they had a miscommunication. There's market rates at different levels. There's a, an enormous degree of complexity in the business domain, and that's part of the reason that you know I was sought out to help dot com guy overcome this complexity and build software that would make that environment and that experience for the user as easy as possible. Right is because it's the real world is somewhat complicated and ugly, and when you try to adapt technology to solve real world problems, you have to have that willingness to dig in to roll up your sleeves and to figure out how to solve the problem. And so the biggest advice I can give people trying to get in is have a willingness to learn a business domain and to dig in and to solve real-world problems and have a willingness to learn and dig in and solve technology problems and expect that you're constantly going to have new things coming up and complicated requirements coming up, and you're going to have to figure out how to solve those. And ideally, you're the type of personality or the kind of person who embraces that and doesn't shy away from that. Yeah, because just right? hearing you talk about it, it's giving me hives. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> he, we may, when you but, came in, he was like looking at our computers and he was like, oh, look at that computer. Look at that. I'm like, I don't know anything about these machines. I just know how to use them. Yeah, I'm them. like, oh, that looks like 10 years old. <laughs> the bare minimum. Um, yeah, totally. But, you know, at dot com guy, we try to make the experience as easy as possible. One of the reasons we don't think consumers are using uh, things like Field Nation or Work Market to, to hire technicians who are professionals who could show up in a few hours is that. Their experiences are fairly sophisticated and complicated. They're built for business users, right? But a dot-com guy, we make it so that it's extremely easy. So you just show up just like Uber. You enter in your address. You say what kind of work you need. You put in more details if you want, and you get in touch with a person in a few minutes. Is there aver- is there easy. an average cost of a repair ticket? I'd say around $80 to $120, depending on what it is. Right. Okay. Um, we price different things differently. Additionally, if you have someone show up to do multiple services at once, we discount the follow-up service. The idea being that if he's already there, you know, if he's going to, say, mount your TV on your wall, and then he's also going to add a Wi-Fi extender, well, he's already there. You've already got the parts. It's only going to take him another half hour, hour. Right. 
he doesn't have to he doesn't have to drive 30 minutes and then drive 30 minutes to his next work site or drive 30 minutes home so because of that we discount it so i'd say you know 80 to 120 dollars um we do have a lot of different discount codes if you go online if you go to our blog blog blog.com you will find plenty of discount codes to save you $25 on your order. Okay. And um, this is a strange question to ask you, but do you help people cut the cord? Is that a request? Like people that don't want to work with cable companies anymore, but they don't know how to set up the Roku or Reku or the antennas or whatever stuff they need. Is that a request that people do? Yeah. Yeah. We can do smart device installation or home media center installation. So there's two ways you can fill that out. So you can say, I want a home media center install and they'll come out and help you set that up. Right. Um, you could easily, if you're not sure how to order Netflix or get that, you could just say, hey, home media center install, put in the, in the, there's a text field. You can just say, hey, I also needed to help me set up Netflix. It should only take like 20 minutes because a professional technician can come out, get it all set up for you, get your home media center set up, and then get everything done in probably 20 or 30 minutes. No big deal. Um, yeah, absolutely. Fun. And and with that, you know, you think about about cutting that cord, right? You can also get rid of your, your cell or not your cell, but your home phone service right. too, right? Because a lot of people are moving to VoIP phones. So if you buy that online and you want someone to come out and install that, we can do that too. Yep. Voice over IP. I have one of those. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, Jacob, it's been really fun to talk to you about being a chief technology officer for .com Guy, an app creating a ability to disrupt the service industry, yeah. which could be happening right here in Minnesota. So check them out. Thanks yeah. for being our guest. Absolutely. Thanks. And for everyone listening, just go to www.comguy.com to get started. Thank All right. You.